0: Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in Conversation With on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Goldie, great to um, to be able to speak with you and get your reaction to the federal budget, the first one in two years. I keep saying that in all of my interviews. Um uh, but that had that you know that was a little bit shocking I think for a lot of people but of course given COVID this is where we stand um, but go before I get your reaction I, I want to first make sure our viewers understand um, exactly what the role of the Business Council of Canada is you being president and CEO CEO of that you're you're really trying to move forward all of us it's not one versus the other maybe just describe that first and foremost
1: couldn't have said it better Catherine thank you you're absolutely right as a as um, I like to say, this is about the country. It's about our citizens and it's about our place in the world and it's about how we're gonna be competitive. And uh, too often we have had this, this uh, cultural tendency to want to divide ourselves into you know large employers, small employers, you know business versus labor and East versus West and so forth. I think that's held us back in terms of our ability to be competitive around the world and the world we're gonna wake up to after COVID ends is a very different world. And so I'm really delighted uh, that you said that. We as business leaders, the people that I represent are you know, leaders of the largest employers in the country, employ about 2 million Canadians directly, probably another multiple of 4 or 5, so another 8 or 10 million Canadians indirectly. If ever there was a connection drawn between the importance of large employers to the small and medium enterprise and community, you're seeing it play out in COVID who's suffering. The ones who are suffering are the small and medium ones and we spent more time advocating for them because they are a part of our supply chain. They are our customers and they're who we're worried about because large businesses do have the ability to adjust, do have the capacity to try and figure out how to you know, go to the work from home and have the digital capabilities and all of that. But small businesses have suffered greatly. So to me, this is a, a moment where we realize that we really are all in this together. So let's behave that way as we go forward and don't lose that learning uh, after COVID is done and, and it will be done. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it it will be done at some point. Hopefully sooner than later. Um, I just want to pick up though on something before that you said before we get to the budget, which is um, the world will be very different post pandemic. A lot of people do say that, um, just in terms of some of the digital transformation that's gone on. But then there are also those who will say, you know, we're definitely going back to work. People want to get out more than they ever have in the past. You'll probably see people, you know, start to buy things once again in terms of, you know, not even just the experiences, but the actual items. So what's your view in terms of what this looks like post-pandemic?
1: Yeah, I think those are two separate points. I think human behavior will be very similar to what it was before the pandemic. Um, we, let's not forget this is not the first time. We had a Spanish flu that killed 50 million people, and if 50 million people dying didn't change our behavior in terms of wanting to get together, socialize, uh, gather in small groups or large groups, fly, take cruises, build high rises, you know, make dents in our in our cities. How is two or three or three million people dying going to change that behavior? Human beings are going to go back to being human beings as quickly as they can. So I'm less sussed about the idea whether our malls are going to make it, whether our airlines are going to make it or cruise ships or restaurants, we're we're going to we're going to go back to being who we are. What has changed, however, is the way in which we manage this crisis and how countries are responding to the challenges of growth that is going to be necessary to pay for what we've had to endure, right? No one is questioning that our governments around the world didn't have a playbook for this. They responded and reacted. And yeah, they got some things wrong, but they got mostly things right. And I think we should acknowledge that. Uh, but now we have to realize that, that we have to pay this back. And other countries, you take the United Kingdom, the United States, Germany, and a variety of others, they've been very deliberate in their growth strategies about how to pay this back. And the goal is not to get back to where we were in terms of anemic, you know, less than 2% growth. The goal is to be more ambitious, more deliberate, and more intentional. And I found it very ironic that the day that the budget was given there was a a droid or a helicopter or whatever you want to call it, a drone flying on Mars that day, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that came about because of a very deliberate, you know, agenda that the United States has created to be leaders in space. They did that back at the DARPA model as it's, as it's known, we need to be much more deliberate in our economic growth strategy. And what we announced in this budget is going to require that growth.
0: Right. And, and so when we think about the budget and um, the reaction the governments are now having with that in mind that we will be getting through this pandemic at some point, what's the plan? What's the long term plans? So when you take a look at the budget that we received yesterday, 700 pages, um, tons of spending. It was a spending budget. Um, what's your reaction?
1: Where's the growth? Well, I, I, well, look. The central question is exactly that. Is what we asked in our in our letter to the finance minister is where will growth come from? And I think what you what we all got yesterday was. Um, all kinds of pieces of the puzzle. There are a lot of pieces to this puzzle, and many of which are, are pieces that we support, we called for, and we like, including childcare, uh, including the, the need to, 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 to responsibly address climate change and in partnership, uh, including the importance of skilling and reskilling, all of those are pieces of the puzzle. But I think what, what was lacking was the framework to pull it all together to say, and here's what we're trying to do. If you ask me, you know, Goldie, tell me what your vision for Canada is, just me personally, I would say mm-hmm. to you, it is to recognize that we are and will be for some period of time a natural resource economy. So you can't get away from that. But we are also a human resources economy. So let's aspire to build a country that attracts the world's smartest people, the world's most diverse people, the world's most connected people, including digitally connected here, and build an economy on that. I think the elements of that are there, but the vision piece of it is lacking. And also the how are we going to do this? You know, on the one hand, I'm happy that we didn't get traditional stimulus yesterday today. We didn't get $101 billion of spending on short-termism, on shovel-ready projects or creating construction jobs. We don't have a job creation problem. Look at the numbers of the last three months, right? The jobs are far in excess because they're coming back and they're coming back because COVID interrupted uh, many of these businesses. They weren't unviable. It wasn't unviable to run a restaurant or fly an airline. They're going to come back. And so that's not the objective here. The objective here is is the investments or are the investments that are being made are they productive in nature? Child care, I would argue, is very much the case. We need labor engagement, labor productivity from our workforce. We're aging. Uh, you know. We have a big country. We have expenses that we have to pay for our social programs that we built and now added to yesterday. Um, but child care is an economic solution in my mind. It's being portrayed as very much a family and children. Sure, social but you know what it's very good for the economy so much so that i think it'll pay for itself when all is said and done assuming we can get the provinces to to play ball mm-hmm.
0: so let's just pick up on that point for one moment because you know it is it's it's so highly debated in terms of whether or not there should be support for childcare or or to what degree um now correct me if i'm wrong but the number looks to be about 30 billion dollars so you know what some are saying is how 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 can we afford 30 30- billion dollars in a child care plan at this point with a deficit of 350 billion dollars when the government came into effect uh, the liberal federal government came into effect and it was a 20 you know they they had 20 billion dollar deficit the the numbers for a lot of people don't make sense in terms of can we really afford it now now having said that and obviously christopher freeland thinks that we can't afford it and i actually agree i i don't i don't think that Uh, which might surprise some people maybe maybe it wouldn't but i i really do believe that my goodness i mean i'm a case in point in terms of a woman wanting to work and and should be allowed to be able to do that and i you know and watched so many um great colleagues female colleagues trying to manage it all and getting the kids there and also talking to to people who decided to leave the workforce because um the amount of money they made in their job um and the amount of daycare costs, it just wasn't worth it for for them to work. So it is something that needs to be done, but how do you do it, Goldie? What's the best approach?
1: Well, look, we don't have to make it up. We have an example in Quebec of what happens with childcare. 10 years ago, their labor participation was below 75%. As a result of childcare over the 20, 30 years that it's been in place, it's over 85%. So you've seen the, the, the consequence of that is, is you brought more people to work. Programs like childcare can be tracked and measured to the economic impact that they're having. If people are able to get affordable childcare, they consider going back to work. But if cost, if working costs as much as it does to keep the child in child care, I guess it's easier just to stay home, right? So mm-hmm. the labor productivity gains made through taxes, people participating in the economy, not just from the job that they go to and pay taxes for in the employer, it's it's getting to work. It's it's the, it's the fact that you're working allows you to go buy a car or you're going out to the restaurant. All of these things have a a ripple effect in saying what's the real cost of childcare? Most experts will say to you that uh, it'll be at worst a wash, that if it's going to cost about 8 billion a year, which is what they're forecasting in the long run, you're gonna get that back in productivity gain. So that's why for us, it's a it's one of the lower-hanging fruit that was available to us. And as employers, I will tell you, Catherine, mm-hmm. um, when I asked them, you know, the quintessential consulting question, what's keeping you up at night? Before COVID, the answer was almost always talent. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Absolutely. So, so, so I think childcare like,
1: gets to that place. Now, the issue, though, is growth. Yeah. We still need to count on that growth to happen because there's a lot of other things that the government announced where the productivity gains aren't so clear. Like what? Well, I mean, you know, governments continue to 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 put their their emphasis on on um, you know making bets on on companies. As, as opposed to sectors, right? So we were looking for a much more deliberate and intentional economic growth strategy that said, we gotta figure out what the answer to the question is, what do we wanna be when we grow up as a country, right? We've had a pretty good run for 150 years just because of our pure geography you know, and, and our history. 75 years the British took care of us, 75 years the Americans have had our back. But when we wake up out of this world, we're gonna realize no one's got our back. We have to control our own destiny. We have to be very specific and deliberate and intentional about what kind of an economic growth strategy we're going to have. It requires a partnership. I I always point to the, the announcement by the chancellor in the United Kingdom recently that said, I'm putting in place a very deliberate economic growth strategy because going back to where we were is not good enough. I want us to be better than that. And he reached across the aisle to business and said, I need your help. We don't have... I would say a naturally healthy, productive relationship in Canada amongst our politicians and our businesses, and partly media is doing, by the way, because if you get too cozy, something's up, right? We've got to show yeah. that, you know what, business and government and labor working together is good for Canada and it's good for Canadians. We've got to get past the silliness of dividing ourselves, which we started off talking about at the very top, and get mm-hmm. serious about what we need to do to continue this great country's mm-hmm. promise and realize its full potential for the next hundred and fifty years. That's what business leaders are focused on.
0: Right. And, you know, it's so interesting the way you put you, the way you frame that in terms of, you know, somebody always having our back and that that really has been the case. And I think we can all attest to that and, and really understand that the, the US Canada relationship and of course that got Called into question during the Trump administration, but also even the Biden administration, which seems to be surprising people. But he was very clear in terms of um, that it was going to be still very much America first. It it, Um, it come as no surprise,
1: Catherine. It should come come as no surprise. It should come as no surprise. And and, Canadians, right? Protectionist by nature,
0: right? And and people should then, to your point, make sure that we're having the conversation about Canada and Canadians really coming together and expecting our politicians to lead us in that way as well. Um, perhaps from a business perspective, then Goldie, my question would be, what, what do you think does work? Is it, it, to me, business is always about relationships anyway. So it would be great if we could have better relationships between business and government. Do you need the format though of public private partnerships?
1: I think structure matters. I think process matters. I mean we're not a society where we're going to be running royal commissions on these things because it'll be useless when the report's done because today the world is moving so fast. that you've got to be agile. Uh, that you've got to be you've, you've got to realize that that there are things you control and things you don't control. So let's put the focus on the things that we do control, right? And, and develop that robust strategy that inspires Canadians. You know, like you look at the, 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 the innovation industry, for example, you know, how often do we hear about Canadian companies not being able to scale, not being able to commercialize? I would respectfully suggest to you, some of that is cultural and some of that is policy reasons, right? And so on the one hand, culturally, we've kind of accepted the idea that, well, you know, if I build a you know, company to take million and sell it and buy a cottage in Muskoka. I've lived the Canadian dream, you know. I've often joked as a as a a land of 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 settlers. We've taken the word settling literally. We settle (laughs) too quickly, Uh, and so we've got to change our own ambitions as Canadians. This is not on government. You can't legislate that. Canadians have to realize we want more from ourselves. We should be ambitious in saying I want to build global champions. I can tell you, my members are seized with the idea of how can we build global champions. Right. That's what Mm -hmm. this is. This is. uh, Uh, This is all about the second piece of this is policy, the right policies, if we're not competitive, you know, you look at the issue of the vaccines today. We had vaccine capabilities. We had vaccine. We drove it away with policy and regulatory changes where the industry said, if you do this, it will become very difficult for me to attract the capital necessary to invest in your country to manufacture vaccines, and I will have to move my capital allocation. And when it happened, nobody cared because it was like, well, I got my drug prices down a buck or two. Right. And then boom, we're in a pandemic and you're seeing what's happening around the world, the United Kingdom, the United States and others, those with vaccine making capabilities in Europe and others, they are going to be leapfrogging and and supercharge their economy as we try and catch up. So it didn't have to be that way. So learn that lesson and make sure that we have the right policy infrastructure to be competitive because Canadians can compete and let's mm-hmm. keep our talent here. Let's attract capital here and realize that we just can't ride the roller coaster of the global economy or frankly, just rely on America to bail us out all the time.
0: Right. And I think that people kind of understand that a little bit more now, just given what we've gone through during COVID. I mean, it was it's very black and white in terms of the, the, you know, position that we were in, it's like, you know, the wave came out and you're standing there with, with no bathing suit on, right? I mean, that's that's kind of what that was. Um, but I guess, you know, where where do we think our leaders are in terms of right-sizing that? I mean, do we get anything in the budget that would make Canadians feel perhaps a little bit more comfortable that, hey, you know, we're gonna have our own manufacturing plants here in, in various um, sectors and areas that would, that in, ensure our safety, if anything else.
1: Yeah, I think this is um, the answer. There is is yes uh, and no. Yes, there are pieces of that are there, in, but in quintessentially Canadian ways, a little bit of this and a little bit more of this and a little bit of that is not going to be the strategy that's going to get you to be you know winners in certain things. So I look at the the opportunity that climate change represents for for Canadian energy sector and the natural resources community, and say rather than fight each other. You know, And rather than just win small points in the media about, oh, how bad this is, realize that there are only two of the top 10 countries or democracies that are world-producing countries, Canada and America. So if you suffocate the capital into those, into those industries, you're killing the innovation that's necessary, the very necessary, the very innovation that's necessary to address not just our climate change issues, we need to be able to take that and bring it to China and to India, because we can turn off Canada. It will make a dent in the GHGs. But what Canada can do is really help address the challenges and the opportunities to bring down greenhouse gas emissions in those large emitting countries. I mean, there is a lot of innovation that Canadian companies can do. Requires a partnership, requires a a mature relationship of of trust uh, where you can agree to disagree, uh, but you're working towards a, a common cause and a common objective. And I think that business leaders have a lot of bona fides on this. In my case, Business Council of Canada, our members endorsed carbon pricing 14 years ago. Uh, We didn't debate it and discuss it in the last year Mm -hmm. or two. We've said carbon pricing is the right model to go about doing it. We support the innovation that's necessary. And yesterday's budget did the the, the net zero accelerator and a variety of these things. The pieces of the puzzle are all there, Catherine. I think that what we have to do is be prepared to really double down on some of these things and realize that you got to go big or go home, just like the minister found a way of doing in childcare. Right, she, she brought it to the end, whether we see it all or not at the other end, that's, that's Canada, we'll, we'll struggle through it and get there one day. But on these other issues, the world's not so patient, it's going to leave us behind if we can't figure out how to do it much more ambitiously, and in scale that's necessary to be competitive.
0: Right. And, and the difficult aspect now, I suppose, for the federal government is that they've created this narrative surrounding the Canadian energy industry as kind of the bad guy or the villain. That's my opinion, obviously, but I think that, you know, it, it's been divisive. Let's, let's say it that way. Um, and, but to your point, you know, it, it's, um, it, 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 it's so important that when you take a look at who produces energy around the world and you think about liking and appreciating democracies, you probably want to support the Canadian energy industry and the U.S. energy industry versus other areas in the world where... Women aren't treated as well. Um, why would we support that? I don't know why women would. At the, it, it just that never makes sense to me. And, I, and to your point though earlier, you have to have m- mature conversations, um, mature relationships, and and I think really connect the dots and not have it we against them or what have you, but really understanding what what might be best for every everybody involved. And I think it can. Work, but I don't know that those conversations, particularly on the energy front, Goldie, are really happening. Yeah. Uh, when I talk to energy um, uh, industry people, you know, th- they almost say sometimes we didn't tell the story well enough in terms of all the innovations that, that's actually been done in the Canadian energy sector and how that actually is being exported. Um, they're not really getting any credit for that from a, you know, uh, cultural ideology perspective here in Canada.
1: Yeah, look, um, lots to unpack there. Let me just say, first of all, that that um, you know, certainly there are um, signs that the government, the federal government, is understanding the importance of these industries. You know, I mean, I, I'll give full marks to Seamus O'Regan, uh, who's the Minister of Natural Resources, for standing by the and standing with the energy sector and reminding Canadians that it's a big part of our GDP and that uh, it's going to be key to the transition. Uh, we can't just you know eliminate the jobs tomorrow. We've got to make sure the jobs can transition. That's they're going to take time, big supporter of the innovation uh, that's taking place in sectors, big supporter of SMRs with the nuclear the nuclear industry. So uh, I you know that it's going to take a decade to get to the hydrogen stuff. It's going to take some time to get the carbon capture, which again, in yesterday's budget, specific money set aside or, or opportunities to research on carbon capture. So I'm not sure that where they were and where they are, and again, to the credit, I think of, of uh, a variety of people in the media and the business to say to them, look, careful what you wish for. Uh, you're not going to be able to solve the problems that you're seeking to solve if you're making us the bad guy. We are the enabler. We're the ones who are gonna to have to bring about the innovation and the change uh, that's necessary, but we also have to be honest with ourselves it's a journey. It's a transition. There's not an on and off switch here. It could take 10, 20, 30 years, right? Mm -hmm. Because you just don't wake up one day and innovate things and hope that they work around the world. So I think there's a realization um, that has taken place there. On the part about the storytelling, yeah, I think businesses, and it's probably why I'm in the situation I'm in today, is (laughs) I communicated this message to them some time ago to say, look, the world has changed. Social media has changed our politicians to become followers more than they are leaders. Uh, So they, they, they were beholden. Into all of these groups, the movements, as we uh, they call themselves now, movements that came in and said, "I want this to be the priority. I want that to be the priority." Well, we select leaders who decided that the right thing to do for the country as a whole—not right thing to do to get more Twitter followers or to you know to to to. So, I think that business leaders realized that they were playing a, a game that, where the rules had changed, mm. it wasn't about speaking to the prime minister or the finance minister. It was about speaking to people. It was about making sure that the public understood. And I think that ever since they've started to do that, the evidence suggests that more and more Canadians trust their business leaders more than they trust their political leaders or with respect people in the media. Now, I say to my members, look, Um, we got to aim higher than that. We want to be seen as trustworthy as Supreme Court justices one day. So how can we Uh go out there and do our due diligence and to do our duty of making Canadians realize that we're not the bad guy? Now, we're not perfect. There's going to be always a story of the day that someone's going to run and say, so and so made a mistake here. We understand that. But at the end of the day, we can't have a culture that says the goal of Canadians is to rip down successful people, is to tear down the large employers, because again, careful what you wish for. When you do that, you end up being a small place in a small country with a small economy. That's not what we should be aspiring to, right? We can't afford it in a country like yeah. this.
0: Well, and you probably also end up losing your job if you don't support the the company that hires you. I mean, it's it's you know often so simple, and 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 it should be a two way conversation as well. I, I'm going, I'm diverting now for a second here, Goldie, but I think that you know I remember when my dad was a president of a company, and you know it was back in you know he's he's much older, um, so he's passed away, but so he was you know a key executive in the 60s, 70s and 80s and that was a time though where you know he was so loyal to his employees and in turn his his employees were also so loyal to him and to the process and to the company and i think over the past number of decades that's kind of eroded where you know, companies do what's good for them and their shareholders and the stock price. This is what, you know, people believe. And then the individuals kind of have to manage and, and maneuver and do what's best for them. And I, I don't know. I'm like, your you now. there are always great companies. And I think the ones that do the best for their employees, because I've worked for some of those companies, um, it's a win-win all around for everybody. All the interests are aligned. But I think that that's some of the problems that we've seen out there over the past decade or so.
1: Yeah, I think you're seeing, uh, again, I say this with great pride for the people that I represent and work for, but those large employers have been have- been the go-to for, for leadership now. When you think about in the middle of, well, let's talk with COVID first, you know, yeah. we couldn't make PPEs. What did the governments do? They called business leaders and said, hey, can you change from making aerospace equipment or, you know, uh, winter jackets like Canada Goose and start making ventilators and clothing for our hospitals and nurses? We we responded to that call. When governments were struggling with getting vaccines uh, distributed and out the door, they phoned pharmacists and said, can you help us, right? Who made the vaccine in and of itself? The private sector. Okay, so Pfizer, for example, without even any government money from, from, uh, you know, from, the, uh, from the money available to them in the United States. Uh, when the rapid screens weren't being utilized properly by provinces and deployed and their governments have been sitting on all these, who did they call? They called us and others and said, can you please help deploy these rapid screens? So I look at that and I say, if business can be your problem solver, why can't we be your partner at the front end? Why can't we work together to help identify ways in which we can make life better for the citizens that you call voters, that we call employees or colleagues, Mm -hmm. or my neighbor for that matter, right? And I think the leadership that business leaders provided, not just in COVID, but take the Black Lives Matter, that happened in the middle of all of this, right? They've had to respond to that to say, we owe, it is a duty of ours to address this issue and call out the elephants in the room and say, you know what, we need to do better. And the ambition with which they've set out those targets. The leadership on climate change that I've been talking about, how many have announced the importance of having a viable net zero strategy by 2050 or even sooner in some cases, you know. So I can go down the list here of where mm-hmm. business leaders are saying we're prepared to do our part, we are going to do more than just run our business, you know, the so-called stakeholder capitalism is in place now. So you're preaching to the converted government when you're telling us that we need to be a part of the solution and what we need from you is an environment that enables us to do that well. You know, we can't compete in Canada with one hand tied behind our back. We can't compete in Canada if there isn't a level playing field. We can't compete in Canada if we have to compete against the government. You know, what we do is work together to say, how do we help Canadians feel comfortable when they go to bed at night that says, you know what? Between government leaders, business leaders, labor leaders, academic leaders, there's a plan, there's a strategy. I see that they're working together to make my life better. Because the danger here, Catherine, is this. If we fail Canadians... Don't be surprised if Canadians go into deep, dark corners themselves. We're not so special that we can't have a populist rise up in Canada to do what we witnessed in the United States or seeing in many parts of the world, including in democracies, where policies are bad because they're catering to a public sentiment of you need to you need to do what I need you to do. Well, you, you, you can't let the prisoners run the prison to some extent, as the saying goes, right? And as great as it sounds to ask every Canadian what they think, we need leaders and leadership to help build that strategy. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, When we think about um, the the budget as well, um, you know, in terms of the strategy, the plan, and perhaps a bit of a lack of a plan in terms of the putting all those pieces together. um, We are, however, seeing a ton of spending, increasing debts. Um, what, What do your members think about that? How concerned are they that that will eventually make Canada much less attractive as an env- environment to, to work in because of the impact that it could have on the overall economy and the currencies and the position it might put them in?
1: Uh, very concerned. In fact, I would say that is the one of the other big downsides of this, of this federal budget is, is that it's almost accepting mediocrity by saying five years out from now, our debt to GDP ratio is going to be 49%. about that today, Uh, you know, uh, we we should be more ambitious than that. We were at 30% before COVID started. You would think five years later, we would be in a much better place. Uh, We're still going to have a $31 billion deficit in five years. Our economic growth is forecast to be right back to the 2% trap, 1.9% growth in five years. That's simply not good enough anymore. And that what we need to do is also be mindful of the risk. The risk of inflation and rising interest rates is very real. It's not when, it's just if. Uh, Sorry, it's not if it's when it's it's going to happen right and so we need to be prepared to say if we're not careful, we're going to find ourselves, you know, history repeats itself. We're going to find ourselves in 1993 again, and we're going to have to cut the very programs that might've been announced. We're not going to be able to give Canadians the quality of life that they expect in their retirement or with their health care or with their infrastructure. Um, and so you can't just say we're counting on growth. You, you got to, you can't will growth. You've got to put in place the policies, right? And the attitude and the approach that brings about real growth. And I got to say this, we were expecting a 400 billion dollar mm-hmm. deficit to be announced yesterday almost all uh, experts were saying it's going to hit 400 billion and it hit 354 and i think people are not understanding why is it 354 and not 400 and the answer is very clear in the last quarter of the fiscal year right for the federal government which was january to march the, eco- the economy grew we were starting to bounce back job numbers were way up compared to what people were forecasting and what that shows you is growth is good Growth can pay for things. Growth prevented the the, Mm. the, the deficit from going to 400 billion and kept it at 354. So now we need to ask ourselves, how do we put in place an ambitious growth strategy that doesn't settle at 2% that wants it to be even a percentage point higher. What do we need to do to to, to do that? And and I think, as I said, the pieces are all there. I'm not being critical of what's there as much as I'm being critical of the lack of of knitting it together and Mm -hmm. the lack of of recognition that it's the economy first. All this this, 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 um, social side of stuff, it's the economy that makes that possible. And, yeah. and, and no one disputes the importance of diversity and inclusivity. No one disputes the importance of climate change. No one disputes the importance of all of these other programs, need, the relationship with Indigenous communities, the need for childcare. We agree. We yeah. agree. How do you pay for it? And you pay for it through growth. And I think the government thinks that what it's done is going to bring that about. And clearly, there's a chance for it. Time will tell. I think it's insufficient and that there's more that needs to be done more deliberately and more ambitiously and certainly more in partnership with business to help realize that potential. Because we have it. Let's be clear. Canada can be number one at whatever it sets its mind to.
0: Absolutely. Um, but we, we do need the, the strategy and the approach to allow that to happen. Um, it, what, what, what do you think would be the number if you were to sit down with Prime Minister Trudeau tomorrow and, you know, give him your, not even your wish list, but the number one wish to make that happen? What, what would it be? It sounds like it's a real partnership with business, but what, what would it be?
1: It's, it's exactly that. It is, let's work together. I mean, we talk about it all being in together, but uh, when I listen to the government, it, the economy is is really its first thing. It's always about the environment. It's always about the DNI. It's always about the other issues. I'm trying to stress the message that says, I care about those things too. And if you care about them as much as you do, understand that a way to make those long lasting and affordable and, and 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 in place, it is through economic growth. So let's develop an ambitious Uh, growth strategy with some urgency. Uh, We don't need more commissions. We don't need more reports. In fact, I would point the government to its own report that it commissioned from Monique LaRue and the Industry Strategy Council that basically put in place the mechanism by which to develop an industrial policy, right? Something that allows us to decide what do we want to be when we grow up? Because so Mm -hmm. far it's just been luck and the luck can run out, Catherine. The luck can run out.
0: That's what I was going to ask you because, you know, I, I was interviewing somebody earlier and, um, you know, we've we benefited on, on so many different fronts here in, in Canada to the point where, you know, are we just lucky? And, and life is a little bit about luck. Um, to me, it's always a lot about hard work. But um, but nonetheless, like if if our you know, luck runs out, where do we really stand, especially if, you know, in this new world that we're going to be entering, if every country is more inward looking, um where will we really stack up and yeah. but but here's the problem i don't think people realize that yet because when you do see some of the economic data as of late the job numbers they look good the housing industry's good we kind of continue to chug along everything seems okay not for everybody that's for sure but on the surface it looks that way and i don't i don't believe it but what do you say to people say well look at the numbers everything's okay
1: yeah, that's, that's a great concern of mine is this sense of, well, look, we're back to where we were. Well, back to where we were is not a good place to be. That's part of the message that we're trying to say is we had productivity uh, issues. We had competitiveness issues. We're losing talent. Uh, we're not able to attract capital at the levels that we used to. Decline has happened dramatically, particularly in the energy sector, largely due to you know, some 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 sense of un- unpredictable and uncertain regulatory regimes when governments can revoke permits and go retroactively to apply new rules and politicized regulatory processes. People take note of all of this. Isn't this is Goldie Hyder saying it with any pleasure? I, it's, what can, it's what I hear from non-Canadians when I travel. Hey, I got a lot of choices about where I can invest. I got a lot of choices about where I can even move. I know many of my members try and mm-hmm. bring their top talent into Canada, and it's only a matter of time before the top talent says, you know what, I want out. I want out because I'm at 55% tax. I just don't see the reason to, to work harder. But I want to go to a country that says, you know, you can you can succeed here. And that we're not going to be punitive with your success. And so in, in that sense, I was glad by what's not in the budget, right? They didn't go down that that populist agenda of, of you know, wealth taxes or or you know corporate tax increases and things, because those things would just make us more uncompetitive. And the ripple effect of that is you don't get the talent and you don't get the investment, therefore you don't get the jobs, you don't get the growth. And guess what? Your social programs get cut at that time. So we know how this all works. And so my message to them is, if you care about those things that you care about, understand that it's the growth agenda, it is the economy that will enable those to be long lasting and so that we can have the caring society that we all seek. That's the challenge that I think we face is that we quickly revert to good enough. And my message yeah. to, to your listeners is good enough is not good enough. And we can't let our governments off the hook. It's up to you and me as citizens to say the next time someone comes to your door. I don't know how many Canadians would ever say, hey, I'm worried about our competitiveness. You know, but, okay. but if he can communicate to Canadians that what we really mean is, I'm worried about about my job. I'm worried about my kids' future. I'm worried about my retirement. I'm worried about my healthcare system. I'm worried about the climate. If we can communicate to Canadians that when you ask those questions, right, and you you help us advance the notions that I'm making, which is government has to get serious about not just the short-term, but the long-term, right? Because politics rewards short-termism. But if Canadians- Yeah, that's the problem. The interests
0: aren't quite aligned.
1: They're not aligned. And, and, and look, I, I realize that those are the challenges that we face, but you know, I, I'm thinking of Larry Summers, for example, who said COVID represents he called it a hinge moment. And uh, it was at a presentation here in Toronto at the City Howe Institute, and he said, um, "What you're seeing is, is a dramatic shift of talent, of capital, of infrastructure, of abilities, uh, shifting to Asia." And so if you're Canada, one of the things I would say to your question is there are three things we can never be without. We are an immigrant nation. We will need to continue to be doubling down on our immigration because that brings about growth. We are a trading nation. We're going to have to take advantage of our trading uh, trade agreements that we have with over 1.5 billion people around the world. Um, and, and, And we are an investment nation. We need foreign investment. We just don't have enough size and scale to do big things. And so we have to see what others are doing. Take a small country like Australia. A smaller country than than ours is. You look at what they've been able to do because they do big things. And you know who's there in Australia making investments? Canadian pension funds. So we, we, we go to other countries to do their big stuff. We should be doing our own big stuff, but our policies aren't enabling it. And so this is where I think that Making Canadians smarter about the importance of public policy uh, mm-hmm. is something that you and the media, and we in our in our world as business leaders, can do. Because when politicians hear it at the door, or they hear it at their town hall, or they get an email about it, all of a sudden they'll move there. Because as I said, they're followers versus leaders per se. The way that you know perhaps we used to elect them once upon a time. It's not their fault. They got to get reelected again, right? I understand.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, we can't blame them for the process that. That we're in and it and you know it's a process for a. What we'll did Churchill say about <laughs>
1: democracy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: What did he? What?
1: And it's it's somewhat Churchill the say? best of the worst, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, but but you know, Goldie, I think that's you know one of my goals is um, you know I'm able to have these longer formatted conversations. This will go to a podcast as well. Um, just really try to you know engage more people and um, have great guests like yourself on so that people can really understand the policies and and think about them and you know um and call upon the politicians to make sure that they are uh operating um on the behalf of everybody if you know if canada as a whole is was what your goal is
1: well let me let me say and so we can end on a positive note that yeah there's a lot of things that keep me up but the truth is i actually get pretty good sleep and i'll tell you the reason why i firmly believe and trust in canadians I think the collective wisdom of Canadians, we're a very smart group of people. If we're treated with respect, if we're communicated to openly and honestly and with transparency as you're trying to do, uh, if we are given good information and given choices to make, Canadians have proven to me at least that time and time again, They make the right choices, right? But if you leave it to themselves to figure things out, they're going to go with the low-hanging fruit. They're going to go to the popular thing and take the easy answer. They go the easy way out, you know. Mm -hmm. But we used to have a historical relationship with governments when you think about it. Governments that, that, that came in, you know, they may have run against things. But if things are working, take, for example, free trade or the GST, they didn't get rid of it. But now we're living in an era where governments come and they want to like eliminate whatever the other guy did and just do the opposite. We can't afford that. What we need is a stable, predictable environment in which to operate and engage Canadians. Let's talk to them because I think, as I said, I sleep well because mm-hmm. I trust them. And that's what I'm trying to do through your program. And I encourage you to continue doing what you're doing because we're going we're gonna to get there. But uh, time's not our friend, Catherine. We, we got to get there quickly.
0: Yeah, agreed. We gotta move fast as you always do, especially in this world today. Um, Goldie, we will leave it there. Thank you so much for your time. I'm so glad we were able to catch up and get your thoughts.
1: Thank you so much. And now good timing. Someone's making lunch downstairs.
0: <laughs> oh, lucky you. Okay. I hear a going right, we'll on, talk on just in case you hear exactly. it. <laughs> Thanks so much.
1: It's okay, our world bye. these days. Thank you, Catherine. Good to be yes. with you. Okay.
0: You too. Thanks.